Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our Thursday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. I'm Dan Lobby, joined today by Mary Kay Cabot. Mary Kay, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Doing well. And uh, for me, this is the first time in a while, joined by Ellis Williams. Ellis, how are you? I'm good, Dan. Good to see you again. Mary Kay, I saw you yesterday, but always great to see you. Uh, did you guys see Bleacher Report today ranked uh, the top five receivers in the NFL? And Tampa Bay's number one, and right behind them is Cleveland Browns with Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry. So... We're going to talk Baker Mayfield, I'm assuming, and sounds like Bleacher Report agrees that he's got uh, some pretty good weapons on his side this year. Yeah, the the Browns certainly uh, love that receiving core. We won't talk about how I gave the Bengals the edge in the uh, wide receiver room when I did my uh, matchup post, but that's for a different. That's a different topic. <laughs> Nothing to do with Odell and Jarvis. It's a room wide ranking. All right. Anyway, let, let's get to it because today we got to hear from Baker from Baker Mayfield for the first time. Uh, really, this offseason, it's the first time he spoke to the local media since his virtual program that the Browns are running uh, got underway. So we're just going to go takeaways style here through what we heard from Baker. And Mary Kay, let's start with you. What did you take away from Baker Mayfield today in his Zoom call? Well, the thing that stood out to me the most was the fact that he said he's moving in silence this offseason. And, you know, I actually kind of think that it comes from above. I think it comes from Kevin Stefanski. I think Kevin, and we've heard him say it before, you guys, uh, we've heard him say, you know, we're going to do it this year. We're not going to talk about it. And I think Baker has taken that to heart. This was the first really the first media interview that he's done all off season. You know, we haven't seen him all over the radio. We haven't seen him on Barstool. We haven't seen him on podcasts. And actually, you know what? Kudos to him for the first media uh, that, that he did was with us, the local media. I mean, you know, that that's kind of cool in today's uh, media climate for him uh, to do that for us. So uh, we got to give him a, a two thumbs up for that one. But, uh, you know, for the most part, he has not – Uh, done anything yet and I think it's because he is just putting his nose to the grindstone he is working he knows he has to come back strong from a bad 2019 season that's what he's up to yeah Ellis I I mean I I was trying to think after the whole thing because he did say that on the call this is kind of the first media he's done I I think the last time we really saw him was when he made that appearance on what was a get up or, or whatever it was around the Super Bowl and since then it has been silent until this call yeah, either get up or the, the some of the radio row stuff he did. I, I think of the like you said, Mary Kay, the barstool thing. Um, but yeah, after Super Bowl, radio silent and timetable wise, I'm not sure where that UFC fight lands in there. But that's what I'm trying to think. Like, if that's the last time I've seen Baker Mayfield's face, 
uh, compared to every insurance commercial that ran last year and, and the summer that was on uh, GQ and whatnot. Uh, it's been quite a 12-month experience, clearly, for Baker. And again, Mary Kay, what stood out to me um, on top of a lot of things, there really are a lot of things to take away, and we're, we're going to get into them, I'm sure, but to build off that Mary Kay is not only the working in silence, but he made a note that uh, he's always been a worker and has moved in silence before things got bigger for him. And that's what I think Baker is now uh, uh, playing with or flirting with here is the who is Baker Mayfield, the celebrity, the superstar, and who is Baker Mayfield, the football player, the hard worker, and the teammate. And that's what it sounds like Baker Mayfield's trying to get into and back to. And look, when you're, when you're as young as he is and these things happen as quickly as they do, uh, you look, everyone hates the Johnny Menzel comparisons, but the point is with any young athlete, these things are thrown at them fast. And I thought that was really interesting. Baker uh, married those two points that not only am I moving in silence, but that's how I used to be before things got bigger. And for me, I, I may be reading into it, but that's code to me that his celebrity just really took off and, he fell victim to it. And we all feel ourselves a little too much at some point. And Baker Mayfield was humbled by his 2019. He said that on, on get up, like you said, Dan, and now he's going to let his work and his play talk. And as we keep saying, the Browns have set up this offense for him to succeed. And we're getting closer and closer to finding out if that's going to be true in 2020. And, and I think, you know, that, that goes for the whole, the whole organization. Everybody bought in last year, everybody, you know, all of us bought in. I mean, go back and look at some of the season predictions, right? Everybody bought in. National, local, the players, the organization, just everybody seemed to buy into that hype. And even when there would be some moments where somebody would try to pump the brakes a little bit, we all, everybody kind of wrote it off. And, and I think, you know, today hearing Baker talk, it just sounded like the rest of the organization felt like just everybody felt burnt. By, by what happened last year, all that hype. And then you go six and 10. And, and then of course, look, you have this pen, pandemic. It makes it very easy to kind of stay silent when you know, you're not at OTAs, you're not at mini camp in person, you're doing everything virtually. You're not seeing us every week. Uh, it's, it, it's just a very different approach. And it was sort of refreshing to hear Baker sort of acknowledge uh, without maybe directly saying it, but acknowledge that maybe it was a little too much last year. And maybe there were some some steps being skipped, and this year they're they're out to show it instead of talk about it. Well, I had to laugh a little bit. I had to chuckle just a little bit about the part uh, where he says, you know, he's you know going to get back to his roots and do it how he used to do it before he you know he got all banker. I'm like, I'm trying to think back. I mean, it might have been middle school or maybe <laughs> grade school or elementary school, but I don't ever remember Baker moving in silence. I mean, my goodness, from the time he was at Texas Tech, I mean, he was all over the map. He was all over the road. And, uh, you know, he's always been kind of the, the mouth that roared and the larger than life personality. And there's always some kind of headlines with, with Baker Mayfield, whether it's planting a flag or, you know, talking about, you know, some, you know, trash talking with another player. He's never, ever, in, that I can ever remember, uh, moved in silence before. So I think this is a sign of a little bit of maturity on his part, which I think is great. I think he's listening to his head coach. I think that's fantastic. I think also he's been somewhat humbled. When you tumble all the way to second last in the NFL in key categories, such as completion percentage, interceptions, and rating, uh, that's not the summer for your mouth to roar. That is the year where you do put your head down, 
and you put your nose to the grindstone and you get back to work because uh, last year was, uh, you know, obviously bad for everyone. And he knows how important this year is for him and the team. Ellis, what, what was your takeaway? Yeah, for me, um, again, a lot that I took away from this thing. It was really interesting hearing him talk. Probably it's because we haven't for so long, but let's, let's start with the footwork for me. And it was one of the things that led the presser and, he, he talked about how now he's leading with his left foot out a shotgun, admitted it's something he's never done, nothing, something he's not comfortable, comfortable with, uh, but quickly detailed how he's, he's getting used to it. Uh, he couldn't say and rave more about Van Pelt and what he's bringing uh, in these offseason meetings. But then he married that with uh, his admission about how nice it is to get live reps with the players that are down there with him in Texas. And I think those two things are so related that, you know, you, you can change your footwork and you can have the reps, and you can have the virtual reps, you can get the scheme, but until you get those live reps with your teammates, you're not going to see actual results on the field come game day in week one. So we're going to talk a lot about footwork um, for, for Baker Mayfield going forward here, but uh, it goes back to what really hindered them last season, which was not having Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham there for those early practice reps. OTAs, training camp with injuries, so on and so forth. So he, he, he sort of tipped his hand there saying, yeah, the, the footwork I'm figuring out, but what is most important are the live reps. And then later we get to how Odell and Jarvis are not a part of these live reps. And that is something we're going to touch on too, I'm sure. But it's the, what it stood out to me was, of course, the footwork, but with how, it, him admitting how important these live reps are. And that's going to be a trend going forward as it was last season. And, and Mary Kay, I think it's, that also speaks to the bigger point that, that we've talked about here, which is, you know, they're, they're changing his footwork, right? Alex Van Pelt saw something and, and wants to change it. And Baker Mayfield talk about, talked about some of the guys who do that, right? And mentioned Aaron Rodgers, just as one example. Um, just that lack of coaching from a year ago. I think it really speaks to that because, you know, he says that today. And then I also saw a Twitter thread of um, some of his throws from last year and his mechanics, you know, the person who was doing this thread, and of course, look, it's a Twitter thread. It's probably not a quarterback expert, but you can see things, right? This person is saying, you know, the mechanics were off in certain areas. And it just speaks, I think, to the point that Baker needed a little more guidance last year, and, and maybe he just wasn't getting it. No, he really didn't get it. Not only did he not get that individual guidance from someone who has really coached it for a long, long time. Because let's face it, Freddie Kitchens really didn't have the time as head coach to completely focus on Baker Mayfield and mechanics and all those kinds of things. Uh, and, and Ryan Lindley was a new quarterbacks coach. I mean, that's just, uh, you know, that's just the reality of the situation. He was very new at that job. So when Baker was going wrong mechanically, there really wasn't that person there uh, that could step in and really fix it. And when your footwork is off, everything's off. And it showed up in terms of accuracy. It turned into inaccuracy and all those kinds of things. So I think that he feels comfortable now, not only listening to these guys, I think he really believes in what Alex Van Pelt and Kevin Stefanski are telling him. I don't think he had that confidence last year. I think he really got to the point where uh, he just didn't know who to listen to. And he was just kind of slinging it around and doing his own thing and trying to figure it out and falling back and reverting to some bad habits. And he just didn't have any way to get it right. Now, 
Uh, he's got the fundamentals that he's working on. He's back to basics. He's getting back to his roots in more ways than one. I mean, he really is getting back down to some fundamental football, again, with the footwork, probably with some arm stuff and things like that as well. But I think he trusts what Kevin Stefanski is telling him. I think he trusts what Alex Van Pelt is telling him. He trusts the scheme that he's about to play in. And I think he's starting to feel very confident. And a confident Baker Mayfield is a dangerous Baker Mayfield. Yeah, Mary Kay, if I can interject real quickly there and add on to what you said. Um, his quote when he said, talking about Kevin Stefanski, he goes, everything he does has a purpose. Mm -hmm. I, I thought of you right away and the detail you have in your reporting that, you know, Freddie Kitchens was wasting uh, some time, and especially some of those early Browns practices. I'm wondering, did your mind go there at all? And to you too, Dan, uh, when he says something like, everything Kevin does has a purpose, are we going to just naturally compare that to the inefficiencies of last year, uh, at least for the early part of this season, you think? I mean, that that's the nature of it, right? You just had a head coach right. fired. You brought in a new guy. You're, you're going to compare those things. But, yeah, I mean, there is a lot of, you know, I, Mary Kay, you have said this, and I completely agree. The more and more that I'm kind of learning about Kevin Stefanski and, and his approach and, of course, the whole play calling thing, this guy isn't here just because he was a, he did a good job with, in Minnesota as an offensive coordinator. He's here to oversee things and, and be that CEO type of head coach. And it just feels more and more like that's really where he fits. Like that's what he's best at doing. And that's going to be a good thing for the Browns. And things are going to be more organized. And there's going to be a purpose to everything. It's not going to be, hey, we're showing up and getting in pads every day you know, so that we can be the toughest football team on the field. Now, now, obviously, the pad rules are changing in camp this year, so they can't be in pads every day anyway. But, you know, there was a lot of that last year, but there wasn't a lot of purpose behind what they were doing. And I don't think Kevin Stefanski is going to really put up with that. No, not at all. And I think, you know, just in knowing Baker now and covering Baker for the several years that I have, he likes – he's a perfectionist. I think he likes to know this is how we're doing it. This is why we're doing it. This – this is what's going to happen if we do it this way. And this is the plan. And he, I think he hated last year. I think he hated that, you know, once again, I brought this up many, many, many times, but I think it was a very telling part of the off season program when Ryan Lindley was saying to us, Oh, we're taking a little bit from here, a little bit from there and a little bit from over there. And we want Baker to put his stamp on this offense. And I've said, and I've mentioned this again before that that sort of was like, we don't really have it, our act down yet. And we're going to rely on Baker's talent to pull this whole thing together. And you can't do that. He was a second-year quarterback. That's not how this works. Baker knows he's going into a scheme that is so proven that you can take an above-average quarterback, not even a great one, you can take an above-average quarterback, plug him into this run-oriented play-action scheme, and that the numbers are going to spit out really, really good. And he's going to look good. And I've, I've been talking to a lot of people about Baker this offseason. So many people believe that he's going to just really take off this year and take it to the next level. And, and I think that he has a tremendous comfort level with what's going on for him from a scheme standpoint. So the, the coaching thing is kind of an interesting segue to and into my takeaway. And, and that's just hearing Baker talk today. And, you know, he kind of said something like this anyway. There were a million excuses he could have made for what happened last year. 
And I thought, and I've kind of been thinking this season, what you don't want to fall into is this trap of these guys saying, well, that was all Freddie Kitchen's fault. That was all Ryan Lindley. That was all this guy's fault. It wasn't our fault. We don't need to do anything to change. And I thought Baker today um, really did a good job of taking accountability for what happened last year. And not, and look, he was given opportunities. Hey, Baker, you've had this many coordinators, this and that. And he didn't, he didn't take the bait at all. He, he, took accountability for what happened last year. And to me, that's the quarterback who sets the tone, who, who says what needs to be said. And I, that's what really stood out to me is he wasn't out here to make excuses or throw anybody under the bus. Uh, he, he seemed to take accountability for what happened last year. And I think that's a good way to set the tone uh, for really the whole roster. Yeah, I would, I would have to agree with that. Uh, again, uh, you know, I, I think it's another, it's a sign of maturity, uh, but Baker Mayfield to his credit, uh, you know, he he never really does blame anybody for anything else for the most part. You know, even on on a route, you know, on an interception, uh, you know, we never hear him say, well, you know, couldn't you see Odell was, you know, ran, ran in when he was supposed to go up and out, you know, whatever. He just doesn't do that. And I, I think that's I think that's really good. He had plenty of chances last year to do that as well. I mean, he could have really thrown Freddie Kitchens under the bus. He could, could have thrown a lot of people under the bus. And he didn't do that. I think that's hard to do, especially when you're in the midst of a really bad season. So good for him. I think he's growing up a little bit. Yeah, and Dan, not only did he not make excuses, but he mentioned what could be an excuse or a weakness, and he really sounds like he's trying to turn it into a strength rather than saying, yeah, it's not easy having all this turnover. He mentioned how he's trying to pull from all the offenses he's already been in as a part of his young career. And to then have proof that this, this works, he mentioned Case Keenum, his backup, who's also played in multiple systems and understands turnover, knows what it's like to play for an unorganized offense, know what it's like to play for an efficient offense. So he used himself and then his backup as examples of how we can both take the bad situations we've been in, take the good ones we've been in, and mold it into what's going to be this 2020 quarterback room. And again, it, it was a very mature observation by Baker Mayfield. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I'd actually forgotten about that. But he did say when, when he had the, the coordinators thing thrown at him, he said, hey, I like learning. He basically said, I like learning about football, right? Yeah. I, like, I like learning things from people who know offensive football. I'm obviously paraphrasing what he said. I own the transcript right in front of me. But, yeah, that was one of those moments where you're sitting there listening and you kind of raise an eyebrow like, oh, that, that's an interesting way to, uh, to answer that question. When, again, you could have made excuses and – he admitted year three is a very important year for him. I just thought today was a, and probably out of necessity after what happened last year, this wasn't standoffish on the attack of Baker Mayfield. And, you know, we've gotten to hear him for a few years now. He just answered the questions. I thought he set a tone for, uh, for what the approach is and what Kevin Stefanski wants the approach to be. And I did, I did think, and Mary Kay, maybe this speaks to the maturity, I did think this was a different sounding Baker Mayfield today. Yeah, I, I thought so too. I really did uh, think so. And I think again, that um, I think Kevin Stefanski has set that tone. And I think that's so vitally important. You follow the head of your organization. You follow your head coach. Uh, if he knows what he's doing and he knows what he's talking about. Now under Freddie Kitchens, and I know I'm hard on Freddie Kitchens, but Freddie Kitchens kind of had this like, hey, boys will be boys. You know, they can kind of, you know, say what they want and do what they want. And, you know, Kevin, Kevin Stefanski consist, consistently says things like, uh, you can have some personality, but 
don't hurt the football team, you know, show a little bit of your, you know, of, you know, your funny side or whatever, but do not do anything that is not team protecting. And so I think he's got these guys thinking all business this year. And of course, we don't know how it's all going to work out. I mean, you know, we could get into the season and uh, losing does funny things to people, as we all know. Yeah. But if things, you know, if things are going the way people expect them to go, I think that that Kevin Stefanski has set forth a clear message about here's how things are going to go. And, uh, and players, kids, students, they like structure. People like to have structure because they want a roadmap to success. And when you can show that, hey, look, you know, Case Keenum went to the NFC Championship game with me as his position coach. And last year, Kirk Cousins finished fourth in the NFL with a 10 whatever 107.4 rating. And, you know, we went to the playoffs. When you can demonstrate that those things happened in large part because of you, uh, you can get people to follow you. And I think that, that Baker Mayfield is, is on board with exactly what's going on. Yeah, Mary Kay, I completely agree with that. And, and furthermore, it seems like somehow through this virtual offseason, Kevin Stefanski is already making Baker Mayfield an extension of himself. And that could be timing and coincidence. You know, Baker's coming into year three. He's naturally maturing, all these things. But I also think it's pretty interesting that, you know, I talked about Baker's celebrity at the start of this podcast. And you think of other younger coaches, uh, boy wonders, if we want to call them that, uh, Cliff Kingsbury and his, his, his house that gets posted on, on draft night. And, you know, the Sean McVeigh's. And not that those guys aren't hard workers busting their tail and at some of the best of what they do. That's not what I'm trying to say. What my point is, Kevin Stefanski is much more about the business than the flash. And now Baker Mayfield seems to be coming into that also. So it's just a testament to what Kevin Stefanski has been able to start this new Browns way in a virtual offseason. And I don't know if that means the Browns win any games in 2020, but it, it's definitely the start of, of something that feels like progress. And uh, this will make Jimmy Haslam very happy. Baker Mayfield also pointed out uh, the alignment in the organization all of a sudden. So that was uh, sticking to that company line there as we go along. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, uh, we're going to talk about something we talked about way back when we started doing these podcasts every day. We're going to revisit Jadavian Clowney. But first, I'm going to tell everybody about Football Insider. It's our tech subscription service where me, Mary Kay, Ellis, Scott Patsko, We'll text you with the latest on the Browns, news, analysis, what we're thinking, and more. You can also text us back, and we respond directly to you. It cuts through the clutter of social media. And we have events for our Football Insider subscribers, including a special virtual event next week where we're going to talk all things Baker Mayfield, breaking down what he's done, where he's going, and what to expect from him here in 2020. There's information about that that we've texted out to our subscribers. You can also see info about that on cleveland.com slash browns. Plus, you get an exclusive insider newsletter text to do every morning. Nobody else sees what we write in that. It does link to our content, but then at the very top, there's uh, something that we write every single morning that doesn't go up on the website. It's only for our Football Insider subscribers. So if you want to check it out, you can start a 14-day free trial. You go to cleveland.com slash browns, and you click on the box on the right side of the page. It's $3.99 per month after the trial. Or if you want to sign up for your free trial through text, just text 216-208-3965. Again, to start that 14-day free trial, text 216-208-3965. 
I'm back on a Thursday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot and Ellis Williams. Like I said, way back when we started doing these every day, I, I actually, it was funny, I was going back and looking through to see when we started doing them, and this was one of the first headlines I came across, something like, should the Browns sign Jadavian Clowney? Well, here we go, Mary Kay, Jadavian Clowney's still in the news as uh, we are nearing the end of May. What's the latest that you can tell us about Jadavian Clowney and, and kind of what's out there right now? Well, Jadavian Clowney is still out there, which means that if he is still out there, then he's still a possibility for the Browns. Why do we know that? Because they are looking into all the big name players like Jadavian Clowney that are out there. And we know uh, from, from various reports and, very, and our own reporting uh, that the Browns have expressed interest in him. So I do believe that, uh, that it's really just kind of been a matter of working it out from, from both sides, from a money standpoint, and then him wanting to be here. Now, uh, Adam Schefter today on ESPN Cleveland said that, uh, speculated that maybe Jadavian Clowney is balking at wanting to come to Cleveland. Uh, so perhaps that is the issue. Now, I, I still think that, um, I do think that there is still interest on the Browns part because uh, I, there's just, there's too much out there. There's too many little rumblings about the fact that they're still interested for it not to be true. And I haven't been able to get anybody to say to me, nope, absolutely, that's not happening. No, that has not come my way. So because of that, I do believe uh, that they are still interested and that if they could somehow try to find a way to make it work, that they would do that. Now, maybe he's holding out. Maybe he wants to go back to Seattle. Maybe he's got another place in mind. Uh, I don't know all those kind of particulars. Um, but I do think that, that he is still on the radar. Yeah, Ellis, with Jadavian Clowney, we, we've talked a lot about him, but, um, you know, there's no movement there. It seems like the Browns are still interested in keeping, keeping Olivier Vernon around. It's what Andrew Barry told us draft weekend. Um, did, but in your mind, would you still think Jadavian Clowney could be a fit here, even if Vernon is still around? Yeah, that, that gets really complicated because – when you talk about the type of players they are, Olivier Vernon isn't quite the play disruptor that Jadavion Clowney is, but Olivier Vernon, um, you know, can set an edge. He, he's, he's sound and fundamental in his defensive assignments. And what we have to remember about this is I think that compensatory pick is really valuable. And Mary Kay has been on this from day one, and I know I keep repeating it, but when you think about what a, a contract for Clowney looks like, and it's going to have probably three years on it or something like that, I'd speculate, uh, compared to getting off that $15 million that Vernon's making and then that extra pick, this seems more like a financial situation than it is a, a necessarily a, a, a defensive Joe Woods scheme fit problem. And But I'm going to go back to what Mary Kay said at the top of this there's just too many connections right now and rumblings that it seems like this, I'm, I would not have said this even yesterday and, and especially not when we started doing these daily podcasts, like you said, Dan, but now I'm starting to think this may happen. And that's just me. That's just a gut feeling, but we keep doing this dance with Jadavian Clowney. And if, if, if both sides, like who else is it? Is it Seattle? Is it Tennessee? Is there's always a mystery team? Sure. But it's like it, we're getting to the point. Like, who else is it? And if the Browns' name keeps coming up, then eventually it seems like the you know something's going to have to happen here soon. And it's going to make sense fit-wise, even though I I prefer Vernon 
because of the pick and then just the player I think are comparable in, in also several ways when it comes to athleticism. But it's just it seems like there's too many uh, too much flirting going on here for something not to happen. I'm not going to say soon, but eventually. And and I think we know. Mary Kay, this front office, and I think you were going to say something there, I interrupted you, but this front office, I don't think they're going to, uh, I don't think they're going to get out of character here. You know, they're not going to go crazy. If they have an offer out there to Jadavian Clowney, I don't think they're going to budge too much. This is a very measured front office, and, and they aren't going to panic. Well, what I, was, what I was going to say was the fact that, you know how they always say it's not about the money? It usually is about okay. the money. Now, do we really think that Jadavian Clowney would be balking right now if the Browns were willing to pay him $17 million a year? I doubt it. Uh, so I'm guessing that it's probably a, it, you know, that there's money involved somehow because you don't necessarily balk at a team that's got Miles Garrett, Denzel Ward, Nick Chubb, Odell, Baker, uh, Jarvis, all these players, if somebody's willing uh, to shell out what you're looking for, which the last we heard was in the neighborhood of $17 million a year. So I'm, I'm guessing that somehow there are dollar signs involved. Yeah, it's the, uh, somebody may be trying to extract the uh, Cleveland slash Browns organization tax out of this team maybe to, uh, to try and get him to, to come here. But I, I mean, you're right. If you're clowning and you're looking at the football situation, I know the success hasn't been there. I know the wins weren't there last year, but you wouldn't want to play across from Miles Garrett and Sheldon Richardson, Larry Ogunjobi, uh, Andrew Billings. Of course, Adrian Claiborne is in the mix too. You've got a decent secondary. Ellis, I think it would be a hard sell to say, no, you don't want to play here on, on that end and maybe rack up some sacks opposite Miles Garrett. Yeah, I didn't get that. And I'm, gonna, I'm trying to look at things more in a lens of, I was listening to Bill Simmons' podcast, probably an older one, but Jason Concepcion came on and highlighted like his five biggest lies from the Michael Jordan documentary, The Last Dance. <laughs> that was, that was a good one. Yeah, wasn't that good? So now I'm starting to read things with a, a more, a, I, I am naturally a bit cynical, but even a more cynical eye. So when I saw that, that balking sentence, it, I'm starting to think, all right, this smells like a leverage situation. Like, because when you talk about football, and even the city of Cleveland, there you can't sit here and disrespect what I mean. The, the past sure is one thing, but what they they have been building on, on paper, and quite frankly, some of the teams Jadavion has played on, and the defenses specifically, I'm talking about, the fit works, and the names are recognizable, and the energy in that locker room, people want to be around. I mean, Sheldon Richardson, Odell Beckham, you know, we we, we can keep going with that. So to me, this now I'm almost feeling like it's a, it's a leverage thing. Like he's trying to use Cleveland to actually get that offer back to Seattle or perhaps it's Tennessee or it's this mystery team. So it, to me, it seems like he's not it, – it, it, when it push comes to shove, I believe he'd be happy here. But to seem like Cleveland is not the, the spot seems like a, some sort of leverage play that I'm not sure is going to work out for him. Yeah, well, then, look, like Mary Kay said, they might say it's not about the money. It's almost always, always, always uh, about the money. I think Jadavian Clowney, with enough money, would be very happy in any city uh, that, that you named. So uh, we'll, we'll kind of see how that plays out. You know, the longer he's out there, the more, the more we're going to talk about it. Because we do, again, one of these every single weekday. So we'll have plenty of time to talk about Jadavian Clowney as long as he's out there. So make sure you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, Google Play, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Leave us good ratings, good reviews, subscribe to Football Insider, all that good stuff. 
For Mary Kay and Ellis, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening.